Well, hello everyone. My name is Mark. I'm one of the team here. I'm an apprentice here, being trained up, uh, and I'll, I get to have a go at uh, one of many times to unpack God's word for us. And we get a great time tonight to explore Psalm 73 and bring our questions to God to wrestle with the realities of what we see and what we believe. And so, before we dive into God's word, why don't you join me in prayer as we ask God to help us understand and apply His word to our lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for your word today. Lord, we ask you, Father, please help us to understand. Help us to wrestle well with your word as we compare what happens in our lives to what we believe about you. Help us to see who you are and to respond rightly to you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, have you heard the story of O.J. Simpson? There's a picture for him on the screen if you don't remember him. Orenthal James Simpson was a famous American football player. He, as he rose to football fame, he became one of America's uh, most loved athletes. While he was climbing the college football scene, he, he won awards. In his professional career, he set records. OJ was a great football player. But my guess is you don't remember OJ because of his football prowess. Now, OJ is more famously known for the controversial case of the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown, and her friend, Ron Goldman. The controversy goes like this, right? All of the evidence, all the evidence points to O.J. being the murderer. But with his money, his wealth, and his riches, O.J. hires a really good lawyer who riles up the jury. He puts forward a conspiracy of police racism. I was a setup. They're only hounding him because he's a black man. With all this persuasion and charisma, the jury reached the verdict, not guilty. Despite all of the evidence, O.J. walks away not guilty. Now, how is that right? Where is the justice for Nicole Brown? Where is the justice for Ron Goldman? How can a criminal just walk away and prosper? I'm convinced that O.J. was the murderer because later on, Ron Goldman's family took O.J. to the civil court where he was charged guilty of both murders and charged with paying out over $33 million to both families. Justice is served, right? But actually, to this day, that sum of money is still largely unpaid. How is it that criminals can just walk away unpunished? And I'm not just talking about O.J. Simpson here. It doesn't take a long look around the world to see that many things, many evil things, many heinous crimes just go along unpunished. But what's worse is that it seems that those who do wrong end up continuing with life and prospering. And those who do right go on in life and end up suffering. I mean, do you ever feel like the world is just unfair? Like the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, like those who do evil continue to prosper, while doing right never seems to get you ahead in life? And sometimes I ask myself, what's the point? What's the point in trying to do what's right? And as we look in the Bible today, in Psalm 73, we find that we aren't alone in asking that question. Here we read the words of Asaph. He's the guy in charge of leading God's people in their praise to God. And Asaph, he's begun to wonder... What's the point of trying to do what's right? Why does the world look so unfair? Is the God of Israel, the good God of the universe, is God actually good to his people? Asaph has begun to doubt God. 
And come and hear him say it himself as we explore point number one, doubting God. Um, Verse one on the screen. God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, Asaph says, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. Asaph doubts that God is good. He doubts that God is good and he doesn't trust that he is good. He doesn't trust that God is good to those who live according to God's ways. He doesn't trust God. Why? What made him stop and doubt God? Verse 3, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Envy. Asaph looks at those who rebel against God. He looks at those who live and reject the true and living God. And what does Asaph say? Huh, their lives don't look too bad. I wish I could be like them. In his envy, Asaph continues to doubt God. See, if you were an Israelite, you were God's people, right? You were God's people. You lived according to God's ways, and you expected God to bless you because he's, you, he's your God and you're his people. Furthermore, you expect God to punish the wicked. You expect God to punish those who live in rebellion against him. But what does Asaph see? In verses 4 to 12, Asaph sees that everything goes well for the wicked. They don't suffer. They increase in their prosperity. They indulge in their desires. They mock God. They, they are so arrogant. And he sums it up in verse 12. Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease. And they increase their wealth. And as for Asaph, the one who diligently follows God, the one who you would expect God to bless, the guy up the front leading people in praise to God, look at what happens to him as he tries to follow God. Verse 13. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. Why bother living for God, right? All Asaph seems to get is suffering. Why would you live for God and suffer when you can live like the wicked and prosper? I mean, have you ever felt that Christianity maybe isn't, just, isn't great after all? Perhaps all the sacrifices and restrictions that Christians put on themselves, they're just not worth it. I mean, what's the point of giving your money to church? You know, others would use that money to go on a holiday. I mean, if you had to choose between four weeks in Hawaii and four weeks in Auckland because you set aside that money for church, which would you choose? I know which one I would choose. What's the point in serving, right? Why spend your weeknights meeting up with other people to study the Bible together? when you could go out for drinks, go out for a date night, go to the movies like everyone else. I mean, nothing bad seems to happen to everyone else. And in fact, it looks like they're living their best life, right? They're prospering, they're getting ahead in life. I I want that. I, I want to live that life. And so it makes me go, what's the point in serving God? And maybe you're here today and you don't yet trust in Jesus. And it's this specific question that's precisely stopping you from trusting in Jesus and living for him. You're thinking, what's the point in living for God? And Asaph would agree with you here. What's the point in living for God? And as Christians, as we wrestle with this question as well, it can be so tempting to just ease off our commitment to God. Maybe I'll give a little less to church so I can invest that money in this stock or this share or this investment fund. Maybe I'll step back from connect group or serving so that I can have more nights out to myself. Now, I do have to say, there is a place for rest. There is a place for wise financial investment. But the problem with envy 
is that we get so caught up with the lives of those who live in rebellion against God and of the lives of those who reject God that we decide to live for God a little less so that we can live like others a little more. To provide another comparison for you, uh, do you know who Hugh Hefner is? Now, if you don't know who Hugh Hefner is, that's actually a good thing. Um, Hugh Hefner was the creator of the Playboy magazine. It's one of the most famous pornographic magazines in the world. And in in this 2017 article, kind of like an obituary because it's written after Hefner died, we hear these striking words about Hefner's legacy. See it on the screen. Part of Hefner's business acumen was to make the selling of female flesh respectable and hip, to make soft porn acceptable. Every man's dream was to have Hefner's lifestyle. Every halfwit on Twitter is asking if Hefner will go to heaven when he's already lived in it. Hefner made a living of selling female flesh. Hefner had no regard for the sacredness of sex or God's design for it. And yet, he lived a life that made everyone go, wow, I want to live like that. I want to be Hefner. How is God good when people like Hefner, who blatantly live in rebellion against him, end up living a prosperous life? How is God good when faithful Christians who decide to dedicate their lives to serving Jesus don't get ahead in life, but instead have tragedy after tragedy happen to them? It reminds me of um, this writer, Christian writer, Tim Challies, right? He's dedicated his life to writing good articles for people to grow in knowing God. Uh, He's dedicated his life to pastoring a church. And then his son, young, probably between 20 to 30 years old, passes away. Why does that happen to Tim Challies. Why does that happen to those who are faithful to God? How is God good when his people suffer while the wicked continue to prosper? At this point, why wouldn't you just want to live like the wicked and leave God behind? Is there a part of you here today sitting there thinking, man, I'm on the edge. I'm about to slip. I, I'm, living, I'm, I'm thinking that living for God doesn't seem so worthwhile. I'm with this Asaph guy, right? Being out seems better than being in. But if we remember what Asaph said at the very start in verse 2, he said that he almost slipped. He said that he almost walked away from God. So if we go to verse 16 on the screen, he says, When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. It seems so bleak. It seems like everything just seems like not worth living for. Now what changed Asaph's mind? What stopped him from slipping? Verse 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. Until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. Asaph has come into God's sanctuary and understood the bigger picture, which is point number two, the bigger picture. He's come into God's sanctuary, which is the temple of God, right? He's walked into this grand structure, this temple in Jerusalem. And what does Asaph see? He sees bulls and goats being slaughtered. He sees animals being killed as sacrifices to God. It's a bloody scene. The blood is running everywhere, dripping down the tables. It's vivid and horrific. And it reminds Asaph of the consequences for rebelling against God. The sacrificial system of, of Israel in the temple was based on this foundational truth that rebelling against the true and living God was an act of cosmic treason. That to reject the one who gives life means that you don't want life, which means that death 
is your end. And so the thing that all people deserve, Israelites or non-Israelite, was to receive punishment from God. Death, judgment, and hell is what we deserve for rejecting God. And so whenever the people of Israel would sin, and by the way, that's often, they would come and present an animal sacrifice to remind them that what happened to that animal is precisely what they deserved. See how Asaph talks about his renewed perspective from verse 18. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You, God, make them fall into a ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. Asaph starts to see the bigger picture. He remembers that death, judgment, and hell is the ultimate end of those who reject and rebel against the living God. And at this point, man, that's full on, right? That's not an easy thing to hear. And in fact, I find it hard, a hard thing to see that is good, right? It's not an easy thing to think is good. But actually, it shows us that God will not let the wicked go unpunished. It shows us that justice will ultimately be served. God is not unfair. No, God is just. And it's easy at this point for all of us Christians to be self-righteous, right? It's easy for us to laugh at those who reject God and think, ha-ha, they're going to get what they deserve. But we need to remember that we deserve death, judgment, and hell too. The picture that God gave to Israel in this sacrificial system is the picture of if you, if you sin, you, you deserve death. But actually, God has given them the ability to have something else die in their place. A bull, a goat, a lamb. And friends, here today on this side of the cross, God has given us an even better gift because he has given us someone to die in our place. This is the truth and good news of Christianity. Jesus, God's one and only son, came to earth as a man. He lived the truly righteous life, always living under God's rule. He's the only one who didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve death and judgment, but instead, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He took the punishment that we deserve by dying on the cross in our place as he bore the wrath of God for us. And it's only because of what Jesus has done that any of us will be able to escape judgment and instead have eternal life. We need to see the bigger picture. See the bigger picture of living in rebellion against God. But we also need to see the bigger picture of living a life of sacrifice for King Jesus, who died in our place. See what Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will reward each according to what he has done. See, Jesus is saying that living the Christian life, it's not going to be hard. Sorry, no, it will be hard. You're going to have to make many sacrifices as you live for King Jesus. But even if you do, it's worth it. Because even if you live your best life now here on earth, if you're not living under the lordship of Jesus, then you've ultimately lost your life. You've chosen to forfeit your soul. And Jesus will come again to judge and he'll repay each one according to what they have done. 
He'll give those who rebel against him the judgment that they deserve, eternal destruction. And that's what we deserve. That's what we would have coming our way. But because of what Jesus has done, if we trust in him, he will give us eternal life. It's a big picture to wrap our head around, something to keep our perspective straight. And sometimes it's helpful to picture it like this, right? I've got a piece of string here. Got it from the warehouse. Apparently it's 100 meters long, so I'm going to see how long I can get it going. That's pretty long, right? I can keep going. Yeah, it's pretty long, going here, 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 all the way over here. And I'll come back as well. This whole piece of string, this is your life. All of it is your life. All the parts that still wound up in there, that's your life. This bit here that I've tagged at the very start of the string, this is your life here on earth. And what you do here in this part of your life, how you respond to Jesus, will determine what happens to you for the rest of your life in eternity. Right? If you, respond, if you live you know, um, living for yourself, rebelling against God and not trusting in Jesus and not taking up the offer of salvation that he gives, sure, you may have a short time of prosperity, short time of living it up, but it will mean an eternity in hell. If you trust in Jesus as your king, as your savior, even though you spend your life suffering and sacrificing for him, it will mean an eternity living forever with God. When we look at the bigger picture, a short time of prosperity, living in rebellion against God is not worth an eternity in hell. When we see the bigger picture, living a short time of sacrifice, it's nothing compared to the eternity living forever with God, with eternal life with Jesus. When you see the bigger picture, you see that living for God is worth it. And so the main big application here is to recognize that bigger picture, have that perspective shift that Asaph had. And for us on this side of the cross, knowing what Jesus has done in our place, trust in Jesus as your savior. Trust in him and live with him as your king because a lifetime of prosperity without him is not worth an eternity in hell, nor is it anything compared to eternity with God forever. There are also two other applications worth mentioning here. Right? from what we've unpacked so far in this Psalm 73. The first application is, it's okay to complain to God. Maybe you're like me, right? Maybe you're Asian like me, that's why. And you're hesitant to question authority. I feel that that's me, and maybe it's my culture bringing it up. But I'm hesitant to question anyone who's in an authority position, and questioning God or coming to him and complaining seems like a really bad thing to do. But Asaph shows us in this Psalm that it's okay to bring your doubts, your questions, your complaints to God. It's okay to come to him. He's a father who will let you come along with, with him and wrestle with these ideas with you and help you work through it. But we don't come to God to questioning him to put him on trial, to test him, to, to twist his arm into doing what we want. Now we come to God with our doubts, questions, because we want to understand. We want our father to tell us, what does it mean? What's happening in this world? We want to hear from God's perspective. Which brings us to the second application, which is that God's word gives us God's perspective. We may not have a temple to walk into today. That temple was long gone, um, destroyed a while ago. But we do have something even better. We have God's word, the Bible. The Bible is God's revelation to us about what life is all about. And it's through God's word that we have and that we're able to get that bigger picture perspective on life. It's through God's word that we will see that justice will ultimately be served. 
It's through God's word that we will see that, you know, Christians, we should expect to live a life of, of um, sacrifice. We should expect to take up our cross. Things won't go um, easy and well for us, but we, w- we willingly do that because we follow the King, King Jesus, who took up our cross for us. It is through God's word that we understand that, you know, there is nothing more important in life than seeing people come to trust in Jesus as their Savior and to grow in maturity so that they stand firm, trusting in Him to the very end. And so why wouldn't you give your money, your time, your effort, your energy to seeing that happen? When we come to God's Word, we see the bigger picture. And with this bigger picture in mind, not only has Asaph seen the justice that God will bring, but he also moves from doubt to praising God as he sees the blessing, the greater and better blessing, which is point number three, the better blessing. Verse 21, Asaph says this. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you, God? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. The blessing that Asaph has as a follower of God is God himself. If you are a follower of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, then God is always with you. If you're a follower of God, then God will guide you through his word. If you are a follower of God, then you will live forever with God in glory. God is your treasure. God is the better blessing. And in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, John shows us what awaits all Christians in the new creation. This is the better blessing that we're all waiting for. See it on the screen, Revelation 21 and 22. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look. God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Man, the treasure for all of humanity is to be with God. To see him face to face, the better blessing is God himself. How amazing is that? That we get to be in relationship with the true and living God forever, seeing him and knowing him as he is fully known. It's such an amazing thing. But sometimes I find myself thinking that Jesus is just a means to an end. Do you find yourself doing that? Thinking that Jesus is just your ticket into new creation? But actually, Jesus isn't the means to the end. Jesus himself is the end. To think otherwise would be to be like a married couple, right? Getting married and then going on your honeymoon and being really excited and really wanting to enjoy the beaches of Hawaii. Or to really be excited and wanting to enjoy the best part of the honeymoon is the temples in Bali. Or the the, the beautiful photos that you can take at Queenstown. Rather than enjoying the company, the love, and the relationship with your spouse. The honeymoon isn't about the stuff that you do in your holiday destination. It's about the person that you get to be with. And so Jesus, in the same way, isn't our ticket into heaven. No, no, no. Jesus isn't the means to the end. 
Jesus himself is the end. We get to live with him, knowing him, forever in relationship with him in the new creation. And so it's impossible to come to this psalm and read it and think that God is not good to his people. Because God has given himself to us. God has given himself to his people. And sometimes, you know, I don't often see that. I I feel clouded. I get um, distracted by the things that's going along in life. And so maybe you're like me and you need to pray to God, help me, Lord. Help me to treasure you. Help me to see how blessed I am to have you. And it's been so good for me to refocus, to delve into the psalm and to see how blessed I am, to soak in the truth that God is, himself is my eternal inheritance. It's actually challenged me that often when I look at the things of this world, I treasure the things of this world like, you know, treasuring a good house, treasuring a baby boy who doesn't cry all the time, treasuring a Kiwi saver or investment plan that will set me up for retirement. When I treasure these things and I focus on them, I actually rob myself of the joy that I already have because of the treasure that I already have in Christ, that God is with me, that God knows me, that I am in relationship with the true and living God and I will live with him forever, seeing him face to face, knowing him as I am fully known. When we grasp this truth, then we can honestly say with Asaph, who do I have in heaven but you, God? And I desire nothing on earth but you. God is indeed good to his people. God is indeed good to his people. For those who live in rebellion against God, God's presence will be dread because God will suddenly punish the wicked. But for those of us who trust in Jesus as our Savior and live with him as our King, then God's presence is our good. God's presence is your current privilege. God's presence is your ultimate inheritance. Be assured that God is good to his people. See the bigger picture that living a life of prosperity now in rebellion against God is not worth an eternity in hell. Recognize that living a life for Jesus is worth every sacrifice, worth every momentary affliction because God is our treasure. He has given himself to us. He is always with us, and at the end of all things, we will live forever with him, seeing him face to face. We will worship him and enjoy him forever. Let's pray to God now. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you allow us to wrestle with the reality of what we see in life our doubts versus what we believe about you, we thank you that you've invited us to come to you, to see answers from your perspective. And Lord, thank you for reassuring our troubled hearts and help us to continue being fixed on, you, on who you are and what your son Jesus has done for us. Help us to see the blessing that we have, that you are our inheritance, that we will live forever with you and know you as we are fully known. Lord, you are our greatest treasure and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.